So welcome back to our series called Seize the 167 as we look at how we can follow Jesus, not just during church, but rather as the church throughout every hour of the week. So for this series, we've been journeying through the book of Acts, uh, which is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke written by the same author. And it begins with the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. But then it, it focuses on the movement and the development of the early church. And essentially, it's a group of people who are given the Holy Spirit and asking, how do we follow God, Jesus, the way of Jesus, in the midst of disruption? Because a new thing is happening. And we too are facing a disruption in our world. A new thing is happening. And it's not just a new thing for us, but it's a new thing that's shaping and is going to impact our entire world. But let me be very clear on one thing. I do not believe that the coronavirus is an act of God. However, I do believe that God can and is acting in and through it. God can redeem it for his purposes. I read this tweet years ago by Preston Yancey. He says, there's a deep valley of difference between saying something is purposed by God and God will bring something purpose. Choose wisely. So that brings us to the question that we have to ask. How do we, or what will it look like for us to follow Jesus in the midst of disruption? And there's going to be various opinions on this. Um, there's going to be different thoughts on the matter, but I've seen many people online start, they're stating things like when things go back to normal. And I don't think things are ever going to go back to normal, especially as we talk about it in a ministry setting, in a church setting. And I'm not trying to stir up panic or fear or make you wonder what, what's happening, but what I'm saying is that we're going to be facing a very different world than what it was a few months ago. There's going to be celebration of being able to reconnect and see one another and see our family and friends, but there's also going to be suffering. There's going to be loss and grief over lost loved ones, lost jobs, and kind of the questions of what's next. And the church itself is being forced to change. For example, we're online and every church is online. It's not going to go away. And what's kind of interesting is last year I was actually talking to Amanda about the future of the Well Community Church. And we were just dreaming and thinking like, man, when we get larger and what staff are we going to bring on? And I remember telling her that in the future, we're going to have to hire an online pastor because we're going to have this new online ministry and we're going to be meeting people in new ways beyond the typical building, the four walls of a church. And I kind of thought that it was a far off dream at that time. But the virus that we're facing, COVID-19, has accelerated this. It's rapidly changing things. And an online pastor is kind of what I've stepped into right now, but I think it's going to be something that continues and stays with us, us in the years ahead. So moving forward, we're going to need to continue to stay online and we're going to need to move away from just simply this weekend gathering, this weekend service. And I think what it's shifting towards is actually moving towards journeying with people daily, pointing people toward hope, keeping them focused on Jesus daily. And why daily? Well, it's because we're being challenged daily. We're facing challenges daily. So doors are being opened. It's an exciting opportunity. Like, 
I mentioned in the announcements, I think there were about 27,000 salvations online last weekend alone as church moved online, which is mind-blowing. It, it's amazing. And I'm excited to see and to be able to participate in this new thing that God's doing. But we continue to have to wrestle with the question of how do we follow Jesus in the midst of disruption? I like what one person said about the big churches the other day, because sometimes you, you'll you see these big churches online doing these big productions and you're like, man, I can never compete with them. And he said, you're absolutely right. You can't compete with them. But they also can't compete with us because what we offer is relationships. Because you see, online ministry, it's not going to replace the church as we know it. But I think it's gonna, going to enhance and develop and deepen the personal relationships when we gather together on the weekends. So the question we're going to wrestle with tonight is how do we follow Jesus every hour of the week in the midst of disruption? So if you're interested in listening to what we've talked to up to this point about following the way of Jesus, check out our podcast, The Well Binbrook, or you can watch or listen on our YouTube channel or website. But tonight we're going to be picking up right where we left off last week in Acts chapter 5. And tonight we're going to be starting in verse 17. So if you have an actual Bible with you or the Bible app on your phone, pick that up now. It might be a bit easier to follow along with me. Uh, if you don't have one and want one, on your phone or mobile device, go to bible.com app. And that will actually give you a link to uh, the right app to download for your specific device. The bible.com app. And as you take a minute to turn there, I'm also going to break tonight's scripture reading into four parts. Because... I believe that there are four things this text helps us with as we seek to follow Jesus in the midst of disruption. So the four ways I'm breaking it up, we're going to focus on doors, forgiveness, decisions, and homes. So Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 17, and I'll be reading to verse 25. The high priest and his officials, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. Then he told them, Go to the temple and give the people this message of life. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple, as they were told, and immediately began teaching. When the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. Then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for trial. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and reported, The jail was securely locked with the guards standing outside, but when we opened the gates, no one was there. When the captain of the temple guard and the leading priest heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where it would all end. Then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple, teaching the people. Man, this is exciting stuff that we're getting into. And it starts off, with these religious leaders filled with jealousy. And the reason they were so jealous is because what we read last week is Peter and John were, were healing. They were doing miracles and wonders. And people were coming to them. In fact, they were laying out their sick in the streets, hoping that Peter's shadow would go over them so that they could receive healing. There was power. But what's also interesting and why they were jealous is people were now going to the apostles rather than coming to the temple. 
they had always had the power as the religious leaders, and now suddenly it was slipping out of their fingers. Also, these leaders had a hand in the murder of Jesus. And there's pride at stake. They're, they're needing to save, save face value. And as we'll discuss in a minute, when they escape prison, when the apostles are released and get out of prison, this reveals the leader's impotence. They can't keep them in their own jails. They're losing their power. They thought they'd gotten rid of the problem when they got rid of Jesus. But now even more people are beginning to follow this movement. And what I love is that we actually don't even have a name for this movement just yet. In chapter 11, we're going to see that the movement begins being called the way. And then eventually we'll see that they'll be called Christians, meaning Messiah people. But for now, these guys are jealous. So they throw the apostles in jail. And it's not just Peter and John this time. It's growing. It says the apostles, they're all doing this work now. But the angel of the Lord comes in and releases them. They've been freed by divine action, by God who moves through locked doors. And the questions always come up. You must be wondering, is it an angel? Who was it? How did it happen? But like I mentioned last week, sometimes by focusing on these questions, we miss the true power of the story. We miss the, the power that's able to wake us up and transform us. The power that's able to wake us up to the living and active God who is still presently at work in our midst today. You see, there's a mystery to God and a mystery to our faith that we just have to get used to. Because the tension really is, why did God open the doors for the apostles here, but later on in Acts, Paul is thrown in prison for two years? Why didn't God release him? Why one but not the other? And, and I know we all wrestle with those questions. Why did God do that for so-and-so and not me? Why this? But again, when we ask those questions and we don't simply trust God, we're, we miss that power that's able to, to wake us up, transform us. You see, we need to be faithful in responding to how God's asking us to participate in his kingdom. I believe the greater principle in this is there are no locked doors in the kingdom of God. That's what Luke's driving home. That's what he's wanting us to see in this text. There are no locked doors in the kingdom of God. If God wants to open a door, he's going to open it. But we have to be faithful to respond to the doors that God does open and to the doors that he keeps closed. So the apostles were released so that they could go into the temple and give people the message of life. And we're going to unpack this a little bit further, but I think it's interesting that they're giving this message of life at the temple. Isn't this where people already came to meet with God, the source of life? Let's keep reading. Verse 26. The captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they were afraid the people would stone them. Then they brought the apostles before the high council, where the high priest confronted them. Didn't we tell you never again to teach in this man's name, he demanded? Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death? But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. 
Then God put him in the place of honor at his right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit who is given by God to those who obey him. The leaders are enraged at this point. You want to make us responsible? And Peter's basically saying, yeah, you are responsible. And this is huge because up to this point, everyone knew that God lived in the temple and God worked through the temple. And the temple was run by these religious leaders. But now what Peter's doing is labeling the chief priests as chief sinners. He, he's calling them out. He, he's speaking truth to these powers. And in this moment, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and he's speaking truth to the powers that be. He's being empowered to confront them and not just challenge them, but call them out. But what's even more incredible than Peter's boldness is this. Peter's extending to Israel, to the Jewish nation, to those who ridiculed Jesus, who, those who just weren't sure about Jesus, even to the religious leaders who's, he's, who he's in front of, who had a hand in killing Jesus. He's extending forgiveness through the person, through the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. You see... Peter's offering to them the very things that the temple was supposed to offer. He calls them out saying, you need to repent. The offer of forgiveness, it, it's there. You just need to accept it. And for anyone thinking, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know how much I've screwed up. Yeah, I do. I get it. I've been there. But think about it. These guys who are being held responsible, being called responsible for the killing of Jesus, they too are being offered the gift of forgiveness. Because you see, repentance doesn't require them to persuade God to be gracious. He already is gracious. It's a gift. It's sitting there, but it requires them to swallow their pride, to accept the egg on their face. Because... By accepting this forgiveness, they're also accepting their responsibility. They're accepting that, yeah, they've messed up, that they're wrong, that they're guilty. And let's be honest, this isn't easy for anyone. It gets easier the more you learn to confess and, and understand just how loved you are, just how set free you are in Jesus. But man, that first step, it's not easy. And sometimes you don't even get it. And you're like, I, I didn't do anything. I'm a good person. But you know what? At the end of the day, God desires this peace and harmony for the world. And, and I can't say that I haven't participated in breaking that peace and harmony. I've done things that, that break that peace and harmony all over the place. Sometimes in my road rage, sometimes in how I treat my family, sometimes in my thoughts. But you know what? The amazing gift is that through Jesus, the gift of forgiveness is sitting there saying, you're forgiven. You're set free. You are loved. You just have to, to take accountability, to step up. Which leads us to this, this next part. Because, of course, these religious leaders want forgiveness, right? No, absolutely not. So, verse 33. When they heard this, the high council was furious and decided 
to kill them. But one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. Then he said to his colleagues, Men of Israel, take care what you are planning to do to these men. Some time ago there was that fellow, Thutis, who pretended to be someone great. About four others joined him, but he was killed and all of his followers went their various ways. The whole movement came to nothing. After him, at the time of the census, there was Judas of Galilee. He got people to follow him, but he was killed too, and all his followers were scattered. So my advice is, leave these men alone. Let them go. If they're planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. These guys were mad. They had chosen to use violence again, to kill. Don't tell us that we're sinners. We're in charge. Now, you have to understand, these guys were trying to protect the temple. They were aware that God was a holy God. They were aware of God's law. And they were aware that God had called Israel to be his special people. So anything that was challenging this was equal to challenging God and had to be resisted. But here's where Gamaliel enters. Now, Gamaliel is actually a well-known rabbi from Jewish literature at that time, sources from that period and later on. In fact, he was remembered as one of the greatest rabbis. Uh, he's, he's de he was devoted. He was pious. He, he knew the law forwards and backwards, inside out. And he taught anyone who was willing to sit at his feet. Now, here's one really interesting thing. Saul, who later became the Apostle Paul, was actually taught by Gamaliel in Acts chapter 22, verse 3. But here's what we need to also understand. There were two schools of thoughts happening here. There was Shammai and there was Hillel. And these two schools of thought was regarding interpretation of God's law. So Shammai... That took the hard line approach to keep God's law, and if violence was required, so be it. Do whatever you need to enforce God's law. Well, then the other school of thought of interpretation was Hillel. And that saw more things as a matter of the heart. That we don't need to fight other people to establish God's law, but rather it was more of a live-let-live live approach. So it's not hard to see which approach Gamaliel took. He's saying, you know what? Live and let live. But here's where there are some pros and cons to how Gamaliel responds. Because you see, on one hand, it's great. He intercedes. He stands up to protect the apostles so that they're not killed. He, he lets them live. And hey, if it's human, it's going to fail. If it's from God, well, hey, we need to be careful. But here's where we need to be very careful. Gamaliel does not see God. Let me say that again. Here's where we need to be careful. Gamaliel does not see God. And what I mean is that he places Jesus and the apostles alongside other revolutionaries. So on one hand, he believes in Israel's God, and he believes that, that Israel's God can move in history, but he does not see it happening in Jesus. He just, he's not aware of it. Did you catch that? Gamaliel listens to the apostles, 
but sadly, he doesn't hear them. He, he doesn't hear the, the call of Jesus saying, come, follow me. He's saying, hey, if it's human, it will fail. If it's God, well, we need to be careful. But he misses the point. He doesn't see God. Rather, he chose to watch from the sidelines. He's kind of saying, you know what? I don't want to get my hands dirty. He, he watches the violence, the flogging, the beating from the side. Which leaves us with a sobering question. How often do we do this? How often do we choose to stand on the sidelines and choose to wait things out rather than stepping into where God might be leading us? Gamaliel's dilemma confronts us with a challenge. And the challenge is this. Do you see God in your midst? And how are you responding to the spirit at work in our world? It's not an easy question. But let me ask you this. What doors are currently opening and closing? And where is the spirit inviting you to share the message of life? Because you see, the invitation is on the table for everyone. Forgiveness is available. And it's not just forgiveness. We're also offered relationship with God. We're, we're offered a new spirit, the Holy Spirit, which is the power of God. We're offered brand new life, brand new life right here and right now, but we have to accept it. We have to make the decision if we're going to follow the way of Jesus or like Gamaliel, Kind of say, hey, I'm not so sure. I'm going to wait it out on the sidelines. Let's continue on. Verse 40. The others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message that Jesus is the Messiah. These guys had just been beaten. These guys had just been flogged and they were rejoicing. Is that the posture that we take when we face hardships? When we face difficulties? And then what I love is that it says, in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach that Jesus is the Messiah. They were following the way of Jesus. They were following this new way of life. And I love how N.T. Wright puts it. He says, it wasn't just a way of life in the sense of a way of conducting your personal day-to-day -day living, though it was that. It was a way which involved living as family, with all those who shared your belief in Jesus. And though you would still worship in the temple, the center of your life before God came when you broke bread in individual houses in remembrance and invocation of Jesus. This is a house-to-house -house movement. This is centered on Jesus. The temple was still at that time a place of worship, but where you centered your life 
around Jesus was in the home. As I mentioned at the very beginning, at the end of this current pandemic of COVID-19, I don't believe things are going back to the way they used to be, to the, the normal that we, we knew before. And I don't mean it to scare you. I, I don't mean it to make you think that the well isn't going to survive this. I, by no means am I saying that. In fact, I believe our ministry is actually going to expand. I believe it's going to grow and develop. What I mean by things not going back to normal is this. We're going to have more of an online ministry. Doors are being opened online that have never been opened before. We're going to be ministering to people behind closed doors. We're going to be ministering to people who've never stepped foot inside of a church building because of the connotations. But we're going to be ministering to people who are deeply seeking. We're going to be praying for people. We're going to be equipping people. We're going to be healing people. We're going to be assisting people who need help. And I believe this new movement that's beginning will only encourage and enhance our weekend gatherings. Because you see, this new movement is a house-to-house movement. Verse 42, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they continue to teach and preach this message, Jesus is the Messiah. Church is not a weekend event. Church is a movement. It's the body of Christ moving from home to home, ministering to person after person, to family after family. This pandemic is showing us just how weekend focused we've been as a church for so many years. But I believe this is forcing us to look beyond just the weekends. It's stretching us to think about how are we walking with people and journeying with people every day of the week? How can we minister to people and walk with people every day of the week? And the technology that we're making use of right now is one of those ways I I see it developing and, and growing. Because you see, people don't just need a weekend service to get the goods. Just, that's just a consumeristic approach. The, the service, the gathering, the coming together is meant to transform us to become people who walk with and care for others every day of the week. To provide for them. And why? Well, it's because we struggle and we face challenges every day of the week. This is forcing us to look beyond just growing a weekend service. This is, this is helping create a house-to-house movement that takes care of one another. I believe what's rising up in my heart as I've studied this passage and that house-to-house just kept jumping out at me in verse 42. What I'm sensing is going to happen among churches and among our church is that a house-to-house movement of people caring for their neighbors, having people over for dinners, breaking bread together, entering into the space of hurt and pain and despair and grief, but sharing with them the hope that they found in Jesus. I see a house-to-house movement rising up in our community. I see small groups developing as this house-to-house movement and, and not just small groups as the way we've always known it in churches, 
but small groups that aren't just for us, whatever us might even be, but small groups that, that are actually for our neighbors, inviting them in to have a party with us and, and telling them about the love and the relationship and the life and the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. This is the house-to-house -house movement that I, that I feel rising up in me and that excites me with all the expansion of this online technology. And then together we get to come together in person when that time happens again and we get to celebrate what God's doing from house to house. We get to celebrate in that together. Because you see, Jesus' name is being made known. The person of Jesus will continue to be made known from house to house. And as we do that, we will see lives and our community transformed for God's glory. God is on the move. There's no doubt about it. God is on the move. He was 2,000 years ago and he still is today. So will you join me in praying for our community? Will you join me in praying for this house-to-house -house movement to evolve and develop and that we'll share the gospel with our friends and relatives and neighbors? Will you join me in taking care of one another's needs? Will you join me in, in entering into the spaces that we're already being called and that as this pandemic continues, will be called into deeper and deeper, the spaces where there's pain, there's suffering, there's loss, there's grief, there's devastation, there's hurt. And we need to enter into those spaces, not with guns blazing. We need to enter into those spaces with care and with love to walk with people as they seek to make sense of it all but to walk with people knowing that there's hope, knowing that there's healing, knowing that there's more to life than this. Guys, we carry with us a message of life. But as you enter into those spaces, remember that we're not the ones that are gonna be able to fix this. But I believe God is going to use us to enter into it, to journey with people, to minister to people in the name of Jesus. But this leaves me with one last request. Will you join me in surrendering your life to Jesus? Will you accept him as the true king of this world? Let him rule in your heart and your life. Because you see, it's one thing to, to come together and to take care of each other's needs and but it's nothing without Jesus. These guys weren't just doing good deeds. These guys centered their life on the person of Jesus. Forgiveness is yours. It's on the table. It doesn't matter what you've done. You just have to swallow some pride. Admit that, yeah, you don't have it all figured out. You've made some mistakes. But that you're accepting the gracious gift of God, that you're putting your faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Will you humble yourself and choose to follow Jesus? And if so, welcome to the family. 
Welcome. Welcome to the movement, this house-to-house movement. Join us. Participate with us. Participate in what God's doing in your life. Let's get moving and preach that Jesus is the Messiah from house to house. And whether that's online for right now, through Zoom or in person when we finally can, let's follow the way of Jesus in the midst of disruption. Let's make him number one. Let's make him number one in our life. Let's repent, accept the gift of forgiveness. And then let's go from home to home, declaring that Jesus is is the Messiah. Let me close in prayer. And if, you, if you're choosing to accept Jesus tonight, I'll invite you to pray the simple prayer with me. And let me just say, there's nothing special about the words I'm going to say other than you're just proclaiming Jesus as King. But repeat after me, whether in the quietness of your heart, out loud, or just a gentle whisper. But I invite you now to pray. Dear God, Thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for being a God who moves and works through closed doors, through locked doors, to open us up to life. And so that we can experience life and life to the fullest and and that we can share that life with others. God, thank you for, for loving me and for being with me all of my life, even when I didn't know it. I need you to set me free from all the things that mess up my life. Sin, habits, hurts, pride, anything that disrupts the peace and harmony that you desire for the world. God, forgive me of this. I want to live the way you've created me to live with you as the true king. Be the Lord of my life. Save me by your grace and for your purpose, God. Help me to learn to love you and to trust you in the days ahead. God, I accept the gracious gift of your son, Jesus, and I choose to follow him. I pray this in your name. Amen. And like I said, if you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family. Welcome to the movement of what God is doing in the midst of disruption. Congratulations. I'm beyond thrilled. If you've actually accepted Jesus tonight, fill out our connection card and there's a checkbox that says, I'm starting a relationship with Christ. Please let us know, um, not just so that we can celebrate with you, but we want to get a Bible in your hands. We want to journey with you the best we can. We, we just want to know how best to equip you. And if you have any questions moving forward, we're here. We're here for you. We're family. So please let us know in the connection card and the the checkbox that says, I'm starting my relationship with Jesus. So I invite you all to um, just continue to follow our order of worship online now. Check out our at-home playlist, um, the worship playlist. Uh, Spend some time praying for the eradication of COVID-19 or for those who've accepted Christ. Pray for our church family. And again, if you're able to, continue to support the ongoing work of the well here in Binbrook as we seek to serve uh, our community at this uh, difficult time. I'm praying for you. I miss you. I can't wait to be together again. But I thank God for you and I thank God for this technology that's able to keep us connected online together. So as we leave here tonight, know that I'm praying for you, that I love you, that I miss you. 
And I pray that the peace and grace of Jesus is with you always. Amen.